You know, um, Brett, I appreciate what you said there about people saying amen and all that, but most of the time people aren't saying amen to me, they're saying help him Jesus, so uh, a little bit different there. (laughs) It's true, it's so true. Oh, what do you guys know about angels? I bet not a whole lot because quite frankly what has happened is is that angels kind of got hijacked by television. And what happened was is we found out that we found out that angels were walking among us and they were doing all kinds of other stuff and you know and we you know we watched the program and it was a you know cute program as far as that goes. But it kind of messed up a lot of people's angelology. Because we didn't understand what really angels were and what they did. And, and you probably never have heard of very many sermons, at least in a Baptist church, on angels. And the reason is, is because Baptists are scared of angels like they're scared of the Holy Spirit. That's really the bottom line. You know, they don't know what to do with them, so they don't, they don't talk about them very much. So they don't know what angels are. They don't talk about angels. So that's the kind of the case that is there. So... Let me give you some little bit of angelology before I really get into this message that I've got here today because you need to understand, I'm going to be talking about Gabriel, Gabriel who is, I call him the messenger angel, even though uh, angel, actually angelos means messenger anyway, but the bottom line of it on it is, is that, <clears throat> is that he's the messenger angel. So let's get to understanding a few things about angels. Okay, so... There are angels. We can agree on that. I think we can also, uh, we can say that. But let's see what the Bible has to say about it. It's, the Bible says that angels are guards for us. <clears throat> Understand that they're guards for us, you know. And it says in Psalm 91:11, it says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, <clears throat> excuse me, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, you realize that angels are guarding you, but I'm going to say this on the, on the outside. Uh, you got to work with them a little bit on this. I mean, I know that a lot of you say, I've got an angel that rides with me in my car. But I'm afraid that a lot of your angels are doing this, you know, because they're afraid. Because you're riding around the car, you know. You, <clears throat> so you've got you to work with them a little bit. When they're going into the promised land, God promises an angel will lead the people to the conquest of Canaan. It says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. So there was an angel that is guarding them along the way, taking them into the promised land to to conquer Canaan. So this is another uh, part where it tells what angels will do. Uh, When Jesus is introducing the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew uh, 18.10, He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that heaven, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Are those seraphim? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you that that, uh, there are angels that are in in heaven themselves. And they're actually, they're looking at the face, seeing the face of God. And and, uh, they're watching over little ones as far as that goes. Then it says that angels, I, I read this, and I'm going to say this, or I say angels are assigned to each of us. 
Now, I, don't, I realize somebody brought this up. You don't have to read it that way. I read it this way. So understand this is the way I read the scripture. I don't think it makes a, a bit of difference whether you got this one angel that is assigned to you or two angels that are assigned to you or maybe 50 angels. Some of you need 150. And so you need an, you know, an angel at every corner and everything you're going through. But let me say this to you. It doesn't matter that if you have one or whatever the number is that is out there. I believe they are assigned to us. Hebrews chapter 114 says, Are they not? Not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now you realize that that scripture right there says that they are for the people who are, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the people who are going to inherit salvation. And so you, you, get your, you get angels because of that. Now, it doesn't say that, they don't give them, that God didn't give them to you even before you're saved. It doesn't say that. So I don't know when you get those angels. Maybe it's, you know, as you're born. And uh, God knows that you're going to trust in him. And so he gives you the angels. Don't know about that. Uh, Angels also, angels deliver us from difficulties we are in. In uh, Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encramps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Now, look at that. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps what? Around those. Which ones? Those who fear him. You got to take that into account right there. Understand that he's going to encamp himself around those who fear him. So you need to be one of those people that fear God. Now, I don't mean that you are afraid of God. That's not what I'm trying to say to you at all. But what I'm saying to you is, is that you should be afraid that you will disappoint God. That is one of the things that we need to do. We need to understand that what we want to do is we want to, we want to make God proud of us. And we are afraid that we might not. And that's not, a, that's not a fear that puts us in terror. It's a fear that puts us into the right place we need to, in the way we act. Now, I realize that the next statement I'm about to make is probably, and it's, it's very probably wrong. Can you imagine that? You know, it's sort of like a, a lawyer saying, uh, uh, Judge, I'd like to strike my next remark. You know what I'm saying? Because it doesn't make any sense, but that's what I'm about to do. I said, there are millions and millions of angels. Did you realize, I don't know how many angels there are. There might be billions and billions of angels. There may be trillions and trillions of angels. There may be a Google of angels. I don't have a clue how many there are. I'd use that as a large number and realize that it might not be big enough, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> it says in Hebrews 12, 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Innumerable means you can't count that high. Or you you can't count them. It doesn't mean you can't count that high, but you can't count them. So we can't count the number of angels that are there. That's why I'm trying to say you may not get one angel. Maybe you have 12, 15, 150. I don't have no, no idea. I don't know how many angels that you have that are watching over you right now. But we do know that the angels are a fixed number. Whatever that number is, they're a fixed number because angels are created beings. They're already created. Meaning that there's, there's a, as many as the angels that are out there, there's the myriads and myriads, as it says, and, and you know, there's an innumerable amount. <clears throat> that what we're going to say is, is that there's plenty of angels that are out there. And they're created. It says in Nehemiah 9, 6, is that, that uh, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. And understand, with all their hosts, the hosts are being the angels. And the earth and all that, that is, in, is on it. The sea and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worship you. So what they're doing, they're created. 
They're created beings. They're the host of the angels, the worshiping God. Now, there are four categories of angels. Now, the first one is um, mentioned many, many times in the Old Testament. Never mentioned once in the New Testament. And that is the angel of the Lord. It's mentioned many times in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read all of them because that would take a long time. It says, Exodus uh, 3, 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, talking about Moses, uh, of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, like I said, this category of angels is spoken of in the Old Testament only. Now, these angels, this category of angels directs people to do the Lord's will. Okay, never mentioned once in the New Testament. Now, why would they only be in the Old Testament and not mentioned in the New Testament? Because now we have what? Holy Spirit. You understand, we have the Holy Spirit now. So this is the situation. So they're directing us to do the Lord's will. Then there are the cherubim. The cherubim, that's a different uh, category of angels. They are not the little babies that are chubby babies that are, you know, that have the arrows and they're shooting people in the heart, making them fall in love. Don't you understand? That's not the, that's not what they are. In fact, the cherubim are mentioned many times in the Bible, but they're, they're mentioned as uh, what are the angels that are put on top of the, uh, the, the mercy seat or the uh, Ark of the Covenant that is there. And they, you know, they're, they're, their wings touch together and you've seen that. You probably saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. And probably figured it out from there. But anyway, but you know what, that's what, the, what the, they, they have it out there. There's what these angels, they look like. They're not little cupids who fly. In fact, yes, they are warrior angels. Now, they may be carrying uh, arrows and, and, you know, bows and arrows, but it's not because they're going to shoot somebody in the heart and they're going to be able to, uh, you know, fall in love afterwards. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What happens here is, is the cherubim are guarding that which is that which is holy, the, the, the Garden of Eden that is there. That's why you will find them up above the, the, uh, on the, the Ark of the Covenant. You'll find them there because that's a very holy place. And they're, they're, that's uh, symbolic, of course, because they're made out of gold. But, but the, uh, the angels would be on there very symbolically up there. So this is, these, are, these were not angels you wanted to mess with. You know, they're not the little cherubs, you know, you say, oh, wait, that little cherub, if you want to call a baby that, you go ahead and call them that, but they're not angels. And, and by the way, they'll, they'll wreck your car someday. But anyway, but the, uh, the thing about it is, little, uh, little, uh, they're, that's not the same angels. As when I, that's what I'm trying to say. So the third category is seraphim. Now we mentioned those last week, and they're only mentioned in Isaiah, and they give praise to God in the throne room. It says in Isaiah 6, verse 2 and 3, 
Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and I told you about this last week. The two that covered his face, and they saw the glory of God, and it was so bright, they covered their face. They, they, uh, and it says, and with two, two of their wings, they covered their feet because of respect for God. They didn't want him to see their, what would be common, what they would think. And with two, he flew. And uh, one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So these, are, and the only time they're ever mentioned in the Bible is there in Isaiah. So these are the seraphim with six wings. So they're different. The fourth kind of angel are fallen angels. These are the fallen angels. Now these are the ones who disobeyed God. These are the ones who tried to take over. They, they, went, they went with Satan in this. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Just to let you know where they are. They, they, he took them and he, and he cast them out of heaven into this, in this place called hell. Uh, they were the ones who rebelled against God. And that also reveals to us that angels have a free will. You know, whether they're the, they're the fallen angels or the, those that are the, uh, the ones that are giving God glory, uh, they have a free will. And those that had that free will and chose to go with Satan, they had a free will to do it. And those others had a free will to um, be on the side of God. So the, the chosen and elect angels are the ones who didn't rebel, and the others are the fallen angels. Of all the angels, only four angels are mentioned by name. Only four angels in the Bible are mentioned by name. And uh, sometimes we get these, we, we tag on some of these things. And, and, and you've got to be a little bit careful there. You'll say, well, you know, <clears throat> we'll see this angel and you'll say, well, it, this close, let's say it's that, that angel's name. That's not, uh, we have to be really, really careful when we do that. The first one is Michael. Michael's the archangel. You've heard of him before. You've heard of him uh, in the Bible. You'll see him a couple of times. I didn't, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but he's uh, mentioned a couple of times. Second angel, Satan, and he's the one who tried to replace God. He thought he could go and uh, he could be as good as God, and, and he was going to lead a rebellion against God. And then there's um, Abaddon or Apollyon, the destroyer angel. Uh, you find that in Book of Revelation. I'll tell you something, folks. When I was at uh, when I was at Lubbock, our uh, our church was four blocks away from uh, what was called MHMR, which stands for uh, Mental Health Mental Retardation. And the mental health was the issue that was there because we would have people that, you know, they needed mental health. <laughs> they needed some help. And I, on a Friday afternoon one time, I had a lady, she came into my office and she said, I need some counseling. It's an emergency. Nobody was left in the building hardly. And this is a huge, huge church. And, the, and you know, I'm, I'm there and I said, okay, I'll sit and, and I'll talk with you a little bit. And she comes into my office and she tells me, she says, I know Abaddon and Apollyon. And I looked in her eyes and I believed her. <laughs> I'm telling you what. You know, so there's a, those are the ones that are mentioned. And I, and I bring those out because I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to those names till that day. And after that, I thought about it. <clears throat> and the fourth one is Gabriel. Gabriel, which I told you already, I call him the messenger angel, that this is really what the name angel actually means in the first place. So all of them are actually messengers. Gabriel appears four times in the Bible, my name. He comes four times he's in the Bible by name. First, he comes to Daniel twice to explain the visions that were given to Daniel. In Daniel 8, 16, it says, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel, made this man understand the vision. 
Daniel prays for a deliverance from the sinfulness of the people. He's given this vision. In this vision, there's Gabriel. Gabriel explains the vision. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. And while I was speaking in prayer, the man, uh, Gabriel, not a man actually, we know that he was a he was an angel, but he looked like a man in this case, whom I'd seen the vision of the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So he comes and he, he explains the uh, vision to Daniel. So this is, a, this is the case. In fact, we find that in that, that, that Gabriel has been in a war. He's actually been fighting against the, another angel, which was, the, uh, which was a fallen angel, was the prince of Persia at that time. So we do have another angel that is somewhat mentioned, though not by name, but uh, the prince of Persia that was, he was fighting against. And if Michael had not come along and fought with him, he would still have been there, is what he says to uh, Daniel. Then Gabriel appears to Zacharias. It says in Luke chapter 11, and uh, let me go, let me just read it out of the scripture here instead, so I can get it all in here at one time, because I'm not going to do it that way. It says in uh, Gabriel, it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. It says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he must be, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before uh, before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. Now, I will tell you that if you've seen the children's program and you saw that children's program that said that, uh, you know, you don't talk about Bruno, well, you don't talk back to uh, Gabriel either. I can tell you what has happened here. Because what has happened here is, is that Gabriel says, okay, you can't believe. I tell you what, you will shut up and you will stay shut up. Now, for somebody like me, that would be almost worse than death. You know that? (laughs) But this was the case for Zechariah. And so Gabriel silenced Zechariah until John the Baptist is born. But then Gabriel is the one, Gabriel appears to Mary. He will be the one that will appear to Mary. And in uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand a little bit about theology. If you go to the, into systematic theology, you ask the question, what is God like? And you find from that, that question, God is like what he does. 
Understand, this is what, what happens. And what we know of God is, is that God is immutable and God does never, never changes. He never changes who he is. And so the way that God acts, no matter with who, at whatever time, not in the specifics of what's going on, but what is in the general, God is always that way. And so when we, we need to learn two things from what was said to Mary here. For just as God was favoring her, what was she doing? She was bringing Jesus into the world. And why was he bring, she bringing Jesus into the world? So that we are favored by God. You understand? We are favored by God. You see, God came to us. We weren't good enough to get Jesus to come down from heaven to earth. God came to us. We are favored by God. And Romans 8.31 says... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you understand what is being said here? Now, we live in a democracy and not a monarchy. And we just cannot really fathom an absolute rule. Now, Mary hears this as a teenage girl, and I realized at the time, you know, they had to grow up really quick. I mean, you understand, they didn't have a real long lifespan either anyway, <clears throat> but they had to grow up very quick. But if in, you were in a monarchy and the king were to say, I'm going to favor you, that would mean you're going to be helped along your way. You're going to be helped along your way. But isn't that exactly what we have? Isn't that exactly what we have? John 14, 16 says, and I will get, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. To do what? To help you, to help you for God is for us. And Jesus has promised to give us an abundant life. But on the other side, the world wants to conform us to its mold. And Satan, the great thief of this world, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy. He wants to take that joy away from you. can't take your salvation from you. But he can try to take that joy away from you. He wants to keep you away from getting that abundant life that Jesus had, has uh, wanted for us. And so we are like the prodigals that need to go home and continue to go home and walk with the Father. Now, if you were in the Navy and this was like this, it would be like you're entering into the Navy and it's, you're an E1. You know how, where that is. You're a recruit. You're at the very bottom of the, of, the, of the thing. And an admiral sees you and says to you, uh, young man or young lady, I will help you in your career. Now, what would that mean to you? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, well, that's what we have. We have the monarch the king of, the, of, of all things, he's come along and said, I will help you. Now, there is one caveat here. I have to bring this out. You got to do what they say. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because Mary had to do what, they just, you know, God was telling her through Gabriel here. For nothing good happens if you go rogue. You understand that? Nothing good happens if you go rogue. And so, but if you do what happens to you? You will go far. You will have that abundant life. You will have that help that you, you need. You will have that joy that you want to have. 
The second thing is, is understanding one that, that Gabriel said, the Lord is with you to marry. Then when we understand the second thing is, the Lord is with us. Realize this. He's helping us, but he's with us. He's not far away. He's not, he's not watching us from a distance, as that silly song said. Watch us from a distance. It says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You know, why do we need to know that he is with us? We need to know that he is close for giving us help. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fiery furnace and then King Nebuchadnezzar looked inside, what did he see? It says it in uh, Daniel 3, uh, 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and he said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. You see, when you are going through the most difficult time that you are in, and you say, Where is God? He's right there. He's right there, right with you at that moment. Just look around a little bit and say, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to walk with him. And I don't care if I have to walk through the, the fiery furnace in order to, to walk with him, but I'm going to walk with him. He's right there, and he's right there for you too. Let's go on and read some more about what happens with Mary. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled in the saying... And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord your God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. You realize what has happened here. God had some great plans for Mary. Now you have to realize that. God has some great plans for you, too. You know, I don't think you're going to have as big a splash as Mary. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do believe that God has some great plans for each and every last one of us. You see, God didn't say, you know what, you just kind of go out there and you wander around and I'll give you an abundant life and you're wandering around. That's called the wilderness where they wandered around before they went in the promised land. You understand what I'm saying? They're just wandering around. You know, there wasn't a lot of, it might have been a little joy, but it won't be the joy that you really should have had. But God has some great plans and maybe you won't be recognized like Mary. Maybe you won't be recognized at all. But Mary would have never have had the joy, the things that went on in her life if she had not complied with what God had already told her to do. She would never have had the impact if she hadn't complied with God's will. Now think about it, folks. What if Billy Graham had never gone to preach the great plans that God had for him? What if Lottie Moon had never gone to China to be a missionary? What if she didn't comply? And I think that we can name a number of people that are out there and we could say, what if they didn't? What if they didn't? What if they didn't? They never would have been able to see the joy of God's plans for them. They never would have had the abundant life. You know, and I say to you, what does God have planned for you? 
What does he have planned for you? You see, you still have to walk with him in that. You still have to to go with him in that. Let's go on to verse uh, 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, Mary asked a question that made a lot of sense. Mary knew how babies are born. And, but she knew something that I think a lot of people miss. Everything's possible with God. A lot of people miss that. And I say the thing about it is, don't get impossible without God mixed up with possible with God. Do you understand the difference there? Don't get the impossible without God, which it is. A lot of things are impossible without God. With possible with God mixed up. Peter got it mixed up when he got out of the boat. He understood first, it's possible with God if I get out and I get on there and walk on the water. But you know what? He started looking at the waves. And you know what? He got it mixed up and now it was impossible without God. You understand what was going on? Martha, Martha got it mixed up after the death of her brother Lazarus. She said to Jesus, Jesus, if you had only been here, she seemed, she only thought that it would have been possible if he was there. She didn't know that it was possible because he was there now. That's the point. He was there right now. And she got the possible and the impossible mixed up. In 1978, I took a bunch of college students with another, uh, I was in uh, Baptist Student Ministries, and we were were taking a bunch of college students on a mission trip down to Mexico. Went down to Mexico, myself, and we found a place that they wanted to build a church. And so uh, it wasn't a very big church that we were going to build, but we went down there to build this church and found out what uh, kind of materials we we needed. So I went to a building supply place. And I told them that they would give us the prices of all of this stuff that we needed to build uh, this church with. Now, you realize this is 1978. And what happened was, is that the, the building supply places, that you'll, you'll need $13,000 worth of building supplies. Now, you say, well, that 13000 that doesn't sound like much. Well, in today's money, that's $59,000. Now, realize we're a month away from this, and we have not one penny raised. We want to take 20 students, and we're going to take them down there, and we'll build this small church for these, uh, for these people to worship in Mexico. And so we decided to go to the two associations that we were working with at that time, two Baptist associations. One was more rural. They were the poor churches. They were, they were in the more rural area. And, 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 and then one was more urban, and, it, and it, it had rich churches. It had rich people in it, and it had rich pastors, in fact, in, in it as far as that goes. But as it would be normal, you'd think, the, these two Baptist associations met on the very same day. And so we wanted to go and talk to them and tell them about our vision to go down there with 20 college students and, and uh, build a, a church in Mexico. So we went first to the one that was rural. And it was amazing. We, we got on the first of their, their uh, agenda, the, the end of the other agenda. So we had to go uh, an hour or so in between between the two associations. But anyway, we got on that, that first one. And those, uh, those rural pastors said, if God is in it, nothing's going to keep it from happening. And they joined us and they prayed with us and it was amazing. So we got in our car as fast as we could. We drove to the other one, to the, the wealthy churches. And we said, we, we need $13,000. We do not have a, a penny raised yet. And those pastors laughed in our faces. 
They said, yeah, you don't have the money. You're not going to raise 13. College students can't give you $13,000. What are you thinking about? So we decided that we'd turn it over to the college students. And a couple of things happened because, you know, when you have God involved in something, God does things more than you even imagined that you can do. And so we didn't have 20 students. Uh, Now, there weren't all students because we had some older adults in there as well, but we had 104 that wanted to go on the mission trip. So we had 104 people went on this mission trip. They're all paying their way, so it wasn't like we were giving anybody any uh, out on this as far as that was. They paid their way. And we didn't have $13,000 either. We had $40,000. And that's equivalent to $182,000 in today's money. Just going to give you the, the number there. $182,000. And we, so we headed off to, we looked like, it looked like Moses going into the promise, or not leading them to the promised land. He wasn't uh, with them when they went to the promised land. But I mean, we had caravans of cars and everything else because we didn't have transportation for that many students and all that. It was just unbelievable. So we go down to, to Mexico and we bought two cars to give to missionaries. <laughs> we, we, we have all this extra money. Why not give them a car? You know, we gave two cars to missionaries, drove them down there and said, that would be good. And we spent, we spent money freely. We didn't try to, you know, we weren't trying to be frivolous. We didn't throw it away. We came back, we had $17,000 left over. $17,000. Guess what? Guess who's going to give us advice on how, what we ought to do with that money first? You think it was those rural churches down there? No. It was the wealthy churches. Those pastors came, you need to save that money. You know what we said? This was given for missions. It wasn't given for a savings account. If God can raise it once, he can raise it twice. We do not have to worry about that. We took 17 students and sent them to Canada for the summer, summer missionaries. And they spread the gospel in Canada for all summer long on that money. And God does raise money more than once, by the way, folks. But you see, the deal about it is, is that it is what God says is so even if it doesn't look like it's so. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you realize that when Mary received this word, she, she believed. That's the biggest thing that happened there. She believed and acted on it. And so let's go on to verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this, is the, and, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The only thing that mattered was Mary believed and she was going to do what the Lord told her to do. Now, if she was going to expect what was coming naturally, what should she expect it? Well, she would have expected nobody's going to believe her. Think about it. Your daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Think about how you're going to, think you're going to take, take that in yourself. You think about that just for a moment. Nobody's going to believe her. Her betrothed 
would probably divorce her, and that would be if he did the, did the kind thing. This was what was going to happen. She was going to get a divorce before she ever even really got married in this sense. And she might even be put out by her family. They might even just put her out. And if they did put her out, she would have had been destitute for a very short life if it wasn't for God. And here's the situation. If this would have been the case if Mary didn't know who was behind her. Who was standing behind her? And I'll ask you this question. Do you know who is behind you? Do you know who is behind you? Because if you know who is behind you, then I'm going to tell you something. You won't hesitate to do what God tells you to. And you won't be saying, well, it doesn't look like it. You won't be saying, you know, I I don't know if I can do that. You'll do it because if God said it's so, it's so. Pray with me. Father, I pray that we all will recognize that if you say it's so, it is so. And nothing 